We'll let the church say, amen. Amen. What a privilege it is to be able to give honor to whom honor is due. And we do honor all of our graduates and for our people who press through all kinds of resistance in order to learn how to read and the basics of arithmetic um, when it was illegal and to press on and press on. And I'll speak about some of that today in my message. But before I get to that, um, I also want to give honor to a family in our church. Will and Erica Anderson gave birth to a beautiful baby girl, Cordelia, this week. And we just want to thank God for giving them life and giving them this little one to be able to nurture and raise in the things of the Lord. So to the Anderson family, uh, we offer our blessings to you. Uh, great to see uh, your baby's spiritual godfather there uh, on the day that she was born at the hospital, uh, her namesake. And so praise God for what he is doing. Also, uh, if the Lord should tarry and if the creek don't rise, we plan on meeting again here in Strong Tower Bible Church in a limited capacity on March 14th, 2021. So in a couple of days, you will receive an email from Pastor Jerry uh, because you have to register in order to come to the initial worship services. So Strong Tower, when you get the email and if you plan on being here, please make sure that you follow through with that. Don't wait uh, because you might miss your blessing, okay? But there'll be more information to come. But pray for us, pray with us as we head towards March 14th to reopen in a limited capacity in person as a local church. Amen? Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, and I know that you do, turn to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15, we read this passage last week. We will uh, use this passage as our launching pad for today. I'll begin reading at verse 1. And the Bible says, in the New King James Version, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. So in this song that will carry on for many more verses, the first two verses tell us that Moses took time to thank God, whom he also categorized as my Father's God. And last week we talked about Amram because we talked about the God of my fathers, part one. And so we looked at Moses' father, Amram, and we talked about the faith of his father and the faith of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but namely for Moses to uh, look at the faith of his dad because had it not been for the faith of his father, he wouldn't be able to be the man that he was at that moment for the children of Israel. And then last week we looked at the theology 
of our fathers, that namely the fathers of the Jews at this time believed God to be a liberator, a deliverer, an emancipator, one who would, in the words of Tasha Cobb, break every chain. And he did just that. And he brought them out of Egyptian slavery and bondage and took them into the promised land. And so as black Americans, we're able to find courage from their plight and from their journey to know that God is still a liberator. And much of our theology and reading in the Bible sees God as one who sets the oppressed and the captives free. In fact, Jesus was anointed to do just that, first and foremost, in the spiritual realm, where he was anointed, according to Luke chapter 4, verse 18, uh, to preach the gospel and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to bind up the brokenhearted. So we thank God that our God is a God, again, who breaks every chain, whether that be physical, mental, spiritual, financial, relational. He's able. He's able. And so today, we pick up with part two of the God of my fathers. And if I had to kind of just narrow this down, the God of my fathers part two, I would call this message one nation under a groove. <laughs> one nation under a groove when we think about the God of my fathers, the God of our fathers. And today we're going to see two things uh, we're going to see the necessity that birthed the black church, that necessity birthed the black church, and then secondly, that struggle birthed black music, putting this nation under a groove. <laughs> now, in order for us to cover those two points, we definitely, definitely need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us all, to teach us all, to lead us all. So let's talk to the Father. God, thank you that we can come to you and to your word in order to gain instruction, encouragement, direction, and clarity. Thank you, Lord, that one of your names is Redeemer. You know how to buy back and bring back and bring out you know how to turn things around and work it for good. You know how to use the things that Satan meant for evil and work them for good. You are the redeemer. And like Job said, I know, I know, I know that my redeemer lives. And you will stand on the earth in the latter day. But until that day, and we do say come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly so that the government might be upon your shoulders. Come quickly that you might deal once and for all with the devil, the enemy, and cast him into the lake of fire. Until you come, until you come, you've left your body here, your church here, to occupy with love, to occupy with truth, to occupy as men and women who are change agents and people who seek justice in the land, especially for the underserved, the marginalized, and the oppressed. We thank you that we get to be your mouthpiece. We get to be your hands and your feet. We get to be your ambassadors. We get to be your light. We get to be your salt. We get to be your representatives. And I thank you, Lord, because you know that we will fall short in failure every step of the way. 
So I'm so glad that grace superbounds over our jump. And I pray, Lord, that in spite of us, people might see you through us and that they might hear you through us and they might feel your touch from us. Help me today to preach and teach your word with accuracy and boldness in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you will give your people ears to hear what thus saith the Lord, that we will look at the fact that you are the God of history and that nothing is wasted, even the painful things, because once again, you are the redeemer. Lord, may we see hope today, even in a tragic journey, even in a hard journey. Might we have hope today in the God who raises the dead, who can do anything and everything but fail. Touch your manservant, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The God of my fathers, part two, one nation under a groove. What a difference a week makes. What a difference a week makes. Because just last week, I remember coming to church, and even the week before that, there was ice and snow on the roads. There was ice in our parking lot. My deacons were here to make sure that their pastor did not fall into the church or fall out of the church because of the ice and the snow. And it was so bad that we know what happened to the state of Texas, especially the cities of Houston and Dallas, because the snow caused there to be power outages and pipes burst and there was all kind of damage even one young little fella died because of hypothermia. It was just such a tragic situation because Texas is not really known for receiving ice and snowstorms. But I do believe Jesus said that in the last days before he comes, the weather is going to be all over the place. I know one thing for sure. I don't know when he's coming. I just know that he is coming and we are one day closer to the return of Jesus Christ. And so Texas was struggling. Uh, people were losing power. Uh, people did not have water to drink. And I remember looking online at some of the stories. And there was one story in particular that got my attention. And it was the story of a young African-American boy, probably 13 years old, who got online to show people who had lost power how they can power up their cell phones so that they could get information and be able to communicate with loved ones because, again, the power was gone. But this young 13-year-old African-American boy got online on YouTube or something, and he said, this is how you can power up your cell phones. And he took a 9-volt battery and some other contraption, and he hooked the phone up to the 9-volt battery so that the phone could be recharged again. And I looked at that. I said, man, that is amazing. Now, I don't know if he was the first person to come up with that, but I tell you what, as a black man who's educated, who's graduated from high school, college, master's, and a doctorate, I didn't know how to do that. But a little fella taught me, just in case something were to happen in my situation, how to power back up with my cell phone. Because I learned something. I learned something that necessity is the mother of what? 
invention. Necessity is the mother of invention. And have you ever wondered, when we think of Black History Month, why so many inventions have been attributed to black people, especially in the uh, mid to late 1800s and the early 1900s. Why so many inventions happen at the hands of black men and women? I'm here to let you know that necessity became the mother of invention because when you're poor, when you're broke, when you're destitute, when you're struggling, uh, your, your creative juices become heightened, your survival instincts kick in, and you know how to make a dollar out of 15 cents. I lost somebody when I said that, but some people can go back with me on that because as black folks, we know during this month, we were reminded that we created and invented the traffic light, the gas mask, the clock by Benjamin Banneker, the first working clock, also, the electric lamp by Louis Latimer, uh, the pacemaker, uh, uh, peanut butter. Man, George Washington Carver did more with a peanut. I mean, he did a bunch of things with peanut butter, uh, peanuts. Uh, he even made paint out of peanuts. But we thank God for peanut butter. Uh, uh, then there was another brother that made potato chips. And then there was a black person who created the clothes dryer. A, woman, a black woman created the home security system, uh, the blood bank, the ironing board, the lawnmower, the modern toilet was created by a black person, a mop, and even a mailbox. And there are so many other things, time will not permit me to mention them, but once again, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And also what we're going to see today, not only is necessity the mother of invention, but struggle becomes the catalyst for change. Necessity is the mother of, inv of invention and struggle becomes the catalyst for change. And out of necessity, the black church was born. And out of struggle, black music in America was born. And in Exodus 15, we get to look at our kinfolk, uh, the nation of Israel, to learn these two principles right here. Uh, so let's start with verse one, or, or, excuse me, point number one, as we get into Exodus. Point number one is necessity birthed the black church, just like necessity birthed the congregation of Israel. You see, in Exodus chapter 15, Israel serves as a type of the church. Israel is not the church, but it is a picture of the church that will come much later on the day of Pentecost. But we see that Israel is a type or a picture of the church, which leaves us to ask the question, what is the church? this New Testament entity. What is the church that we see in the Old Testament through the nation of Israel? Well, the church in its simplest forms is the body of believers. The body of believers, people who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. People who believe that Jesus Christ came to earth to live the perfect life that we could not live and die on the cross 
for lawbreakers and sinners like you and me and then rise again from the grave. By doing so, he gave his life for us, the just for the unjust. He paid our debt and then he rose from the grave. And when we believe in him, we can be born again. We can be forgiven. We will be adopted sons and daughters of God and dwelt by his spirit, accepted in the beloved, seated with Jesus in heavenly places, never to be forsaken, never to be forgotten, always loved and cherished by the Father. We're believers. We're believers because of what Jesus did for us. And what we see in this passage, not only were the children of Israel believers, because they were believers in what Yahweh had just done for them in order to bring them out and bring them through, to deliver them from physical oppression. Yahweh, God, was the one who brought them out, so therefore they believed in him, at least for now. Because of the 40 years in the wilderness wanderings, they're going to have moments where they believe and where they don't believe, where they believe and where they don't believe, uh, very much like you and like me. And that's why I'm so glad we're not saved by our performance, but we're saved by what Jesus did and finished on Calvary and that God keeps us because he is faithful even when we are not. Which is why under the new covenant, not only does he give us the spirit, but he seals us with the spirit, uh, meaning that the spirit won't leave us even when we grieve him because of our unbelief. You don't have to say amen, but you can say a because it's real and it's right. That's what happens, right? We're all in process. But this group of folk in the Old Testament, they were believers in Yah. But uh, a little bit later in the chapter, the same chapter that they're praising God, they're going to begin complaining at the end of the chapter. God, God brought them through water, parted it. But then when they can't find water to drink, they start complaining. It was a test. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But they were believers. But here, here's the other thing you need to know about what is a church. Not only is it a body of believers, but a church is a group of called out people. It is the ekklesia in the Greek, which means called out assembly. Called out of darkness and into the marvelous light. Called out of Adam and into Jesus Christ. Called out of the world and into the kingdom of God. We are the called out ones. And not only that, we are an assembly, meaning that we've been giving, given authority to operate in the earth because Jesus gave the church the keys or the authority of the kingdom. So as an assembly, we can make decisions. As an assembly, we can bind and loose. We're not just people who get together and like to sing. No, we are people who get together and pray and exercise the authority of Jesus in the earth over every unclean, foul, and false and spirit and even over systems that seek to oppress God's people. We are the church. So we are the ecclesia, the called out ones. And watch this. In Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, there is a prophecy whereby it says, out of Egypt, I have called my son. Out of Egypt, I have called out my son. Speaking first and foremost of Israel. They were like a son or a child to God and he called them out of bondage. But it also speaks prophetically that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
would take a momentary pilgrimage into Egypt, into Africa to flee from Herod. And then he would come out of Egypt, out of Africa, and go back to what we call today Palestine or Israel, Jerusalem. So out of Egypt, I've called my son. The, 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 the church is the body of the believers and the called out ones. Is anybody a part of the church today? Not just the building, because you can be a part of the building, but not be a part of the body, okay? So, so you need to know Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church and the one who does the calling. Have you heard him call your name? Has he touched your soul? Have you been born again? Have you truly been liberated and set free in your soul? If not, guess what? Today is the day of salvation, and all you have to do is say, yes, Lord. Yes, I receive you, Jesus. I believe in you, Jesus, and what you did for me on that cross that I might be forgiven of all of my sin. And I believe that you rose again from the grave and I trust a living God today. Oh, Lord, be my savior. Be my God. Be my everything. You pray that prayer today and it'll be, it will be the first day of the rest of your life. You will be born all over again. You will be a new creation in Christ, somebody's got to respond today to the good news that eradicates the bad news. But Israel was a type of church, and Israel's congregation was birthed out of necessity. Pastor, what do you mean? Well, there was this need for them to be free. Now, those of us who are used to being free, it's hard for us to really understand or, or, or enter into the weight and the experience of enslavement and bondage, especially if it's happened generationally for 400 years. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 3 that the people cried out to God and God heard their cry and he raised up Moses to go in his name to be the deliverer, to say to Pharaoh, it's time to let my people go. So they had a need for freedom. They had a need to be a community of people that God had called Abraham to be the father of. So they had a necessity. They had a need to be a congregation who would no longer be bound, who would no longer be oppressed, but who would be free and free indeed. And when I transition to the black church in America, the black church in America, the black church was birthed out of necessity. And that is the need to experience freedom, the need to experience identity, and the need to experience community. Yes, yeah, that's why the black church in America was birthed, because there was a need for God's people of African descent to have freedom, to have identity, and to have community. But before I get into that, uh, about the birth of the black church in America, let me talk first about the birth of the church, period. The birth of the church that occurred long before the black church was birthed in America, but the birth of the church that occurred on the day of Pentecost. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we see the birth of the church. Now, uh, uh, there was a necessity or a need for this body of believers, these called out ones, 
to form. Uh, and, and their necessity was that they needed some help. They needed some help. Because Jesus is going around making disciples. Uh, Jesus is going around telling his disciples that on this rock of who I am and what I do, I'm going to build my church, my called out community. Uh, uh, so, so they're hearing about the church, but they don't have the power or the wherewithal to operate as the church. And Jesus says, when I go away, I'm going to send you some help because you can't be the church or do the things that the church is supposed to do without help. So there was this need, this necessity from help on high named the Holy Spirit. They not only needed help, but they would need comfort, which the Holy Spirit brings. They would not only need help and comfort, they would need power to be a witness because there was so much resistance in that day against the person and name and message of Jesus Christ. So there was a need for them. And God says, I'm going to meet that need. And as I do it, I will birth this thing called the church. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. It says, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Stop and pause. The Jews had been dispersed because of various uh, uh, moments of captivity under the Babylonians and the Assyrians. So Jews were living all over the then known world. But they would always come back home for the annual festivals and uh, feasts. Uh, and this one here is Pentecost, which before that was Passover. So devout Jews would make their way back to the Holy Land in order to worship God in the epicenter of their faith. So you have Jews from every nation who are in Jerusalem. And when this sound, which happened in verses one through three, this sound from heaven, uh, and the believers in the upper room began to speak in other languages, this sound of a mighty wind, and I'm gonna hit that sound for point two, this sound that came from where? It came from heaven. Uh, uh, this sound occurred. The multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? So the 120 in the upper room came out of the upper room after the Holy Spirit had filled them, baptized them. They came out full of God and they began to speak the wonders of God in the languages of the people from the nations where they had come from. It was a miracle that got their attention. Oh my, oh my, oh my, watch out now, watch out. And, and it says, how is it, is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, 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 and the parts of Libya, Libya adjoining Cyrene, which is an African uh, 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 city, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. What's going on here? Well, when God birthed his church, salvation would come to the Jew first and through the Jews to the world. And so when the church was birthed here in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, it was primarily Hebrew or Jewish. But there were also proselytes to Judaism who were also in town. 
What's a proselyte? A proselyte is a Gentile, which could be a European or an African or someone who is Arabic, who would also receive Yahweh, uh, uh, come under the teachings of Judaism, which is why they're coming to town. So they are Gentiles, Africans, Arabic people who have subscribed to Judaism. And so what this means is that the people who assembled that day were not just Hebrew, but it was all of Noah's sons, uh, the Semites, uh, the Hamites, and the Japhethites, the body, the church of what we're going to see later in the book of Revelation. So they're there, which means Africans came to Christ and experienced Pentecost and the filling of the Holy Spirit, making them a part of the first church before the black church had to be planted in North America. I, I just had to give you some context because there are some, especially unbelievers, especially those who are black, who want you to think and believe that Christianity was forced upon Africans making it a slave religion to make slaves docile. Yes, part of that is true. But my descendants did not meet Jesus for the first time in North America. The Bible tells me they met him for the first time right there in Jesus's land. So that's what the Bible says. There were people from Egypt and Libya and Cyrene, Africans who had moved from Judaism because Peter's going to preach now. And uh, uh, I think upwards of 2,000 will get saved. So in that number will be born again Africans and Egyptians and Libyans and people from Cyrene and people from Rome and people from Judea. Thank you, Jesus, that you made a way for everybody to come to you through your son. So no more segregated gospel preaching, no more segregated gospel meetings, no more segregated churches. My God. But we got to understand our history. Oh, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. Because the black church, when it was birthed, uh, or let's say before it was birthed out of necessity, it was a part of the colonial church or the white church in America. And blacks, to some degree, were permitted to be a part of those churches and worship services. But problems came when people came from the Methodist persuasion of the kingdom of God, believing that slaves could not only hear and understand the gospel, but they also needed to be baptized as well. And the church then felt that they could hear the gospel, especially the parts about slaves obey your master. But I don't know if they need to hear the gospel that the slave is one with, in Christ with the quote-unquote slave master. Uh, I don't know if they need to hear that part because they may fool around and think that they're equal and fool around and think they need to be uh, uh, freed. And so therefore, the early church put clamps on the gospel. They, 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 they disturbed the purity of the message in order to maintain the system of slavery. But the Methodists came along and said, we're going to baptize them, meaning that when we baptize them, they are pretty much equal to any and everyone else. Uh, and so, again, that was hit with a lot of resistance. And so, eventually, the black church was born out of a necessity to be free 
free from the shackles of bondage and slavery, as well as free from the oppressive thoughts that black people were not made in the image of God, that they were not redeemable, and that they were not equal, and on and on and on. The black church was born. And what it offered black folks was, number one, freedom. Freedom. Freedom of body, mind, soul, and spirit. So there was a need for blacks to be free. And until black people experience physical freedom, the gospel set us free spiritually. And we recognize that although we might be last down here, we will be first in the kingdom of God. And identifying with a savior who chose to suffer unjustly helped set us free and give us hope in the midst of our plight. And so there was freedom. And when the black church began in America, it began as what is known as the invisible institution during slavery. During slavery, uh, blacks would come to uh, the churches that were led by white people, and they would either sit on the sides or stand. If there was a balcony, they would be permitted to go up to the balcony, but they were still slaves in the house of God. Uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about that in a moment when I get into Richard Allen. And so, so black people would leave those services and they would go out on Sundays, which was typically their day off, the Sabbath day, as far as the Protestant understanding. And they would go and have church on their own. They would sneak away or steal away into the woods, into the marsh, and they would hang blankets on the branches after soaking them in water so that the blankets could muffle the sound because they would go out into those woods and pour out their hearts before their creator. And they would worship in a way that was akin to their African ancestry and culture, where they would shout, where they would dance, where they would sing, where they would pound on a wash tub in order to have a rhythm to their worship. And they would even uh, uh, pray over kettles and pots so that their prayers would go into the pot in order, again, to, to be like a silencer because there would be so much pent-up emotion from working in the fields and being treated like animals, having your family taken away from you, women being exploited and raped, black men being disrespected. But when they got before God, when they went to the altar, God kept them sane in the midst of an insane situation so they would worship out in the woods. And the church for black people was first an invisible institution, but they had freedom. And enslaved black believers in America had their own exodus out of the white church. And they went on to form the black church in America. And the first black denomination was founded in 1816. And it was a, a, a young man by the name of Richard Allen was elected as the first bishop of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And so Richard Allen, he was in Philadelphia. He was in the north, which was a free territory. But although free, it was still very prejudiced, very biased. Uh, uh, black people were not seen nor treated as equals. But he's still in the north in Philadelphia. He was a member of a Methodist church who from time to time would allow him to preach. And under his preaching, the church began to grow, especially with uh, escaped slaves and free blacks in Philadelphia. And when they would come to church, 
with their white, quote unquote, brothers and sisters. Richard Allen, Absalom Jones, and the other uh, members of the, of the church would have to sit in the back or stand along the side and give the better seats to the white members. They would receive communion last, and so they were treated like second-class citizens in God's house. And Richard Allen uh, let the elders of the church know that, that this was not right and, and that he was being used to, to see the church grow even though he and his people were not respected. And so therefore, the church decided to build a balcony in that particular uh, uh, building. They built a balcony, and the black people contributed to that effort. So on the day when the balcony was to be open, it was such a big deal in the city that even more people came to the church service. So much so that the black people who thought that the balcony was for them, that they could be separate in the church and have their own place without being humiliated and told to get up and stand over here, they were not given the balcony because the crowd was so big that white people occupied the balcony. And so while they were waiting for the service to begin with nowhere to sit, Absalom Jones and Richard Allen and the other black believers, there was the tradition in the Methodist church to bow and pray on your knees, to bow and to pray. But because they were taking up space, uh, uh, the elders came and said, you need to get up now. You, you need to get up. And Absalom Jones said, wait until I'm finished praying. So because of this last bit of oppression, once that prayer was over, those black folks got up, Richard Allen, Absalom Jones, and they had an exodus out of that white church, and they decided we're going to build our own church. And that's how the black church was birthed in America. So when people say, well, why is there a black church and a white church? You need to do some reading and understand your history. That the, the enslaved Africans and the free Africans, they weren't trying to have a separate church. They wanted to be one church like God prescribes. But because of segregation in the house of God, they went on and started their own house. And when Richard Allen started his own church, the white members from that church tried to come over and stop him from doing it. And then once they raised the money and finally built the church, the white members said that that church belongs to us, not to you. So that's why he had to start his own denomination called the African Methodist Episcopal Church. They had to take it to the Supreme Court. And so, y'all, you got to see and understand this struggle, this necessity for black people to have their own place and space whereby they are no longer overseen by white people. Instead, they are overseen by God. So there's that freedom that was needed. But then there was also identity because black people found their dignity in Christ before they ever found their dignity in society. Let me say that again. We found our dignity in Jesus, our identity in Jesus, before we ever found our dignity in Christ. Black people were called hideous names. We were treated, as I mentioned earlier, like nothing but animals and property because that's what we were to the slave owners. Uh, and so, so we did not have personal dignity. So no matter how old a black slave or even a free black man was, he was still considered a boy in that time and era. He did not have the right or the freedom to look a white man in the eye. He had to always have a posture of having his head down. A black man who looked 
white people in the eye was seen as threatening, uh, seen as one who was being defensive and rebellious. So there was a culture there. No matter how old you were, you were a boy, which is why when we went to church, church gave us identity because that boy on the streets, even in a free area like Philadelphia, in church, he was Deacon Jones. Uh, that, that, that pastor who was disrespected, that minister in the church was Reverend Williamson, okay? Which is why in the black community, uh, we typically put a lot on titles uh, because it speaks of respect within our community. So that's why in a black church, you will have mothers, the motherboard. You will have not only deacons and reverends, you'll call one another brother and sister because in the plantation, or even in free America, we were called nigger, and we were called nigger so much, we called each other nigger. So all of these things were done to demoralize us and take us down. But in church, we had some identity. We had a reason to hold our head up. We, we, we had th this pride about us. And so, so, so th that, the black church was birthed out of necessity for freedom, identity, but also community community, which is why the black church has been called a nation within a nation. Because in the black church, uh, you would be able uh, to uh, have a black school. Because the black church, especially once the building went up, that building became the epicenter for the black community, where that church not only provided place that the people of God could gather and worship in a unique and distinct way, but also the church would be that place to meet, to, to teach and train young people as well as older people how to read and how to write. And the local church would also give birth to things like historically black colleges and universities. So, so what Ebony talked about today as far as education, it was so important for us to learn how to read and to write because that would be the entrance into society giving us power, which is why it was put down for us to read and to write. So let me put a pin here. Black folks, stop making fun of people within our own community who have been gifted uh, 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 educationally and intellectually. Uh, stop saying that those of us who read well and quote unquote speak well, that we sound white and we're acting white. No, 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 no. Uh, reading and writing has nothing to do with being white. It has everything to do with being the person you were meant to be to your fullest potential. So don't you put down your people because our people fought so hard we, uh, to learn how to read and to teach others how to read and even to write our own biographies. So we need to shake off the shackles of the mess that we learned from slavery that we put others down and begin to accept the fact that we all are God's children made in his image with the capacity to learn and understand and comprehend. Got to tell the truth and shame the devil. And so the church was that place that not only provided schooling and, and black businesses, but also black politics. It was a meeting place, which is why during the civil rights movement, uh, it was birthed out of the black church. Whereas today with uh, uh, Black Lives Matter, it was not birthed out of the church, which is why there are so many uh, humanistic things about it at its core. 
but I still agree with the message that is communicating, even though I don't agree with every jot and tittle. Neither do you agree with every jot and tittle that goes on in this country and that the founding fathers were slave owners and all that stuff, but you still hold on to the things that they wrote and stood for by way of freedom, justice, and liberty for all. Uh, I, I hold on to Black Lives Matter, the philosophy, the same way, even though I don't agree with everything the founders believe in. Uh huh. Miss me with that stuff. All right. So N.T. Way. So 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 the black church became that place of mobilizing in order to secure justice, which is why the black church, which provided education, businesses, and and a political uh, uh, launching place, was a threat and became a target to white terrorism. Black churches were burned. Black churches were bombed. But how many know again, the building is not the church. <laughs> the people are the church. And so truth was able to go on because truth resided in people even when they couldn't reside in buildings. But, but, but the more you knocked us down, the more we got up with resiliency to rebuild again. My God. And so out of necessity, the black church was born out of necessity. And out of necessity, this church was born in 1995. Not as a black church, but as a multiracial, multidimensional, multi-economic church led by a black man. Well, let me put it like this, led by a brother man. <laughs> oh, boy. Because everybody that's skin folk ain't kin folk. But anyway, led by a show enough brother for over 25 years because there was a need for a diverse church in Williamson County, one of the uh, 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 hot spots of the Civil War. God said, I need to see diverse unity operating in my body, and I'm going to plant a church right there in Williamson County in the city of Franklin that will then move years later into Davidson County, the city of Nashville, because we got to take this bushel off of this particular lighthouse because people need to know the different kinds of people can come together in my name and grow and do the work of the ministry. So there was a need. Why? Because most churches are still homogeneous. Even though we read the Bible, we see diversity. <laughs> churches are still homogeneous. And so when we look at the Bible, which should be the authority, and when we look at Jerusalem, if Jerusalem is diverse, our churches should be diverse. Unless we're preaching a gospel of white supremacy. Unless we're preaching a gospel of black supremacy. I just hope we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ that will draw men and women to himself. But secondly and finally, I got to get on my high horse and I got to go. Uh, we saw the necessity birth the black church and now struggle birth black music. <laughs> yes, it did. Struggle birth black music. In Exodus 15, we see that Moses wrote a song. Yes, he did. And he wrote a song that would not have been written had there not been a struggle on the other side of the Red Sea. There was a struggle for the people of God for 400 years. And there was even a struggle for them to come out of Egypt because Pharaoh did not let God's people go with an easy hand. And so after miracle after miracle, plague after plague, he would continue to harden his heart. But while he's hardening his heart, Israel, the congregation, they are seeing the power of Yah. The power of Yahweh and their belief 
in him is growing stronger with each passing miracle and plague. And so Moses, on the other side, the, the apex of, of the miracle and the might of God is found at the Red Sea where God parts the sea and the Israelites walk through on dry ground and then God uh, closes the sea on the Egyptians. They get to the side and Moses sings and they, uh, he writes and they sing a song. He writes and they sing a song. Why is this? The Jews are tribal people, tribal people. And tribal people, especially when they are oppressed by an oppressor, they communicate to God and to one another through songs, through music. So it was natural for him because although he was raised in the palaces of Egypt, the boy's roots go into slavery in the land of Geshem right there, uh, 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 where the Jews were. And so he writes a song. They sing this song to honor their creator, but also to call out the conditions of what they had just come through. And the Jews would always have that as a memory throughout their history. They were tribal people. And oppressors of tribal people are known to mock the music of tribal people. I got to say that again. The Jews were tribal people. But oppressors of tribal people were known to mock the music of tribal people, because they mock tribal people themselves. Okay, you don't believe me? Psalm 137. Psalm 137, and I'll begin reading at verse 1. And the Bible says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Who's we? The Jews. Why? Because they've been taken captive. He says, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. Where's Zion? That's Jerusalem, where the house of God is. When we remembered Zion, we hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there, those who carried us away captive asked us a song, and those who plundered us requested mirth. Or that means they were demanding joy. They wanted us to entertain them. And they said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Now, they weren't wanting them to sing one of the songs of Zion because they wanted to get to know the God of Zion. No, they wanted them to sing the songs of Zion so they could mock the Jews because they just defeated, in their mind, the God of Zion or the God of the Jews. So sing us a song as a way to further humiliate you. You don't have any power except to obey. But watch what these Jews did. Verse 4. <laughs> How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So in other words, we're not singing. We're not cap dancing for y'all. Because if we sing, that'll make you think we're happy. And that'll make you feel better about what you did when you separated us from our homeland and even killed many of our people. So we're not performing for you. We're not singing a song for you in a foreign land. How can we sing in a foreign land? And so tribal people are often mocked their music by oppressors and colonizers. Hold that. Black music was birthed out of struggle. And black music put this nation under a groove. Something good came out of something bad. Uh, the music that God put in us 
in the motherland and even in the other land ended up putting this nation under a groove, my God. Uh, And I saw this when my family and I went to the National Museum of African American Music a few weeks ago. And I'm so glad that that museum is here in Nashville and my hat is off. I applaud those on the board, the team, the people who raise money to put that together. It is a top notch uh, uh, facility and experience for the country that's right here in Music City, which by the way, got its name, not for country music, but because of black music that came from the Fisk Jubilee singers. So, So black music, put this nation and this city under a groove. And with my time remaining, let me just give you a few examples of what God can do when oppressed tribal people begin to sing and make music and create. My, my, my. Hold on. There are the Negro spirituals. These are songs that were created by and sung by slaves that have biblical themes as well as coded messages. So the Negro spirituals, songs like Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen, Go Down Moses, Go Down in Egypt Land and Tell old Pharaoh, Let My People Go. Now the slave master did not like the slaves singing that particular song, so they sought to censor them on what songs they could sing. Now, 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 somebody said, man, that's a whole, that, that's a long time ago. There's no censorship of black voices today. <laughs> yes, there is. Because just this past weekend, while I was at my alma mater to speak to the Student Government Association, a word came down from the top establishment and upper echelon saying to me, do not use the word diversity when you speak to the Student Government Association. They wanted to censor your pastor. <laughs> but do you think I kept my mouth shut? No, I said what God told me to say because I cannot tell my story without talking about diversity. I cannot tell my story without talking about race, racism, justice, oppression. I can't tell my story without mentioning the hard parts of it and to also declare what God can do in the midst of all of that. Oh, I had to tell my story to those students. So censorship still goes on. But the slaves also had weighed in the water <laughs> where the master didn't really know what that meant. They just maybe thought that was about baptism. But that was many times a double entendre to say, meet us at the water tonight because we're making a flight. <laughs> Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. These songs, they would, they would sing while they were working and picking cotton and, and tilling the fields. They would sing these songs to God, but they would also sing about the conditions in which they lived in. Swing low, sweet chariot, my God. We put this nation under a groove. Then there was the blues. <laughs> The blues originated in the Deep South in the 1860s to speak about how difficult life can be. And the blues connects best with people who understand pain, suffering, and loss, which is not something that's just attributed to black people, which is why blues is an American art form because all people go through pain, suffering, and loss. But there's just something unique about our story, unfortunately, that no other people group in this nation can claim as that was their experience as far as being enslaved in this nation. 
We unfortunately have that unique distinction as descendants of African slaves, those who were enslaved. And so when we sang and created these musical art forms, my God, and, and I love this, I love this, because the first people mentioned in the Bible as being filled with the Holy Spirit were the artists who created the tabernacle. People with creative gifts were the first ones filled with the Holy Spirit. The people who made music. David, who was a man after God's own heart, played the harp. He made music that overcame demons and devils that tormented Saul. So who gave my people the ability to make songs when they couldn't read and write? Who gave my people the ability to be able to play music when they haven't even learned music? I got to give all the glory to what God can do. The blues came along uh, with B.B. King, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, Robert Johnson. How you learn how to play that guitar? God taught me how to play that guitar. Bessie Smith, W.C. Handy. We put this nation under a groove. Then there was jazz, which originated in New Orleans in the late 1800s. And jazz is the best of musical structure and discipline married to musical spontaneity and improvisation. That's what jazz is. I love jazz because jazz has structure, but jazz also has freedom. Uh, you, you've got sheet music, but when you're feeling it, the drummer goes off. When you're feeling it, the bass player goes off. Uh, when you're feeling it, the saxophonist goes off. And then they freestyle, and then they come back to the sheet music. It's kind of like preaching within the black tradition. We've got the text, we've got our thoughts, but then there's the Holy Ghost, the wind of the Spirit, that'll say, hey, say this, do this, bring this in. Everything isn't always scripted. It's the jazz of preaching, and we got that from jazz music. Oh, there's Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong, Billy Holiday, Cap Calloway, howdy, 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 hey, Count Basie, Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, Miles Davis, Thelonious Monk, John Coltrane, George Benton, B Benson, Wynton Marcellus, Al Jarreau, George Duke, and our homeboy, Kirk Whalum, <laughs> Grammy winner, Kirk Whalum, who has a place in the National Museum of African American Music, who, by the way, I'm name dropping, who was an elder at this church for over 10 years, who's still one of my closest friends. I'm name dropping because jazz music put this nation under a groove. And then there was rock and roll. I said rock and roll. I know you thought Elvis invented rock and roll. No, he didn't invent rock and roll. He stole rock and roll. I know you don't like it, but it's the truth. Because not only would the oppressor mock tribal music, the oppressor from time to time would steal tribal music or the dividends made from tribal music. <laughs> Rock and roll, pastor, what are you talking about? It came about in the late 40s and early 50s, and it originated from black styles of music that had been fused together. Sister Rothetta Rosetta Tharp, with her guitar, may have been one of the first rock and roll musicians in this country, followed by Little Richard and Chuck Berry, who are often overlooked when we start talking about rock and roll and how it has mutated and migrated over the years. But its rudimentary foundation comes from black people because we put this nation under a groove. What about R&B or rhythm and blues? 
because we live in a country that want our rhythm, but they don't want our blues. But, but this musical form originated in the 1940s, black folks creating musical styles. And this was originally known as race music. So folks like Fat Domino, Fast Domino, Bo Diddley, Sam Cooke, Marvin Gaye, and Barry Gordy's Motown sound, R&B. We're talking about Smokey Robinson and Stevie Wonder, The Temptations, The Supremes, The Jackson Five. Woo, can you imagine this country without Motown's influence? Because black folks have put this nation under a groove. And then there's New Edition and Boys to Men. And then there's Babyface. And then there's After Seven. <laughs> with our brother Kavon Edmonds, who's a part of it. I'm just name dropping again during Black History Month to let you know that R&B, black folks put this nation under a group. And we need to give honor to whom honor is due. I'm almost done. Then there's soul music. Soul music is music that you can feel. Aretha Franklin said, I'm giving him something. Anyway, Aretha Franklin the Commodores, War, My Favorite, Earth, Wind, and Fire that combine so many different musical elements of jazz and blues and calypso. Oh, the creativity of soul music, the whispers, the mighty OJs, the spinners, Curtis Mayfield, and just down the road at Memphis, Al Green, Stax Records, Cadillac Records. Man, black folk, we sang our way through. <laughs> because we put this nation under a groove. And then we can't forget funk music, funk music, uh, music that you can smell. <laughs> because soul music is music you can feel, funk is music you can smell. Because of the funky bass line, you make a face like something smell in the room. Mm, 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 mm. That's funk, mm. when you make that face, mm, that's funk. And funk comes to us from James Brown. <laughs> Funk comes to us, man, when you hear that drum and the way he puts that horn together, how the horn was a, a, another a, a way of percussion in the music. And then that would give birth to Bootsy Collins on the bass and George Clinton, who gives us One Nation Under a Groove and Parliament Funkadelic because black music put this nation under a groove. And then there's hip hop. Oh my, in the mid-70s, hip-hop was born in New York City. Cool Hurt, DJ Red Alert, they came with this music that could pull any kind of musical style and make it a hip-hop song by putting a drum beat on it or over top of it. It could take disco, it could take blues, it could take so many things, jazz, and, and, and make it hip-hop. And so there's Grand Master Flash and the Furious Five with the message, don't push me cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. So we have social commentary, tribal people telling it how it is. And then there's Run DMC who came, my favorite rap group, talking about it's like that. And that's the way it is. And then moving on from there, you got the Fat Boys and LL Cool J. Continue to move on up. You got folks like Tupac and Biggie. And you hear the sheer genius in these artists. Mama, we put this nation under a groove. But finally, 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 to me, the best form of music 
that came from the black struggle. I don't believe it's jazz or the blues. I don't believe it's funk or soul or, or even hip hop. I believe it's gospel music. Gospel music came from the black church and from the black struggle. The Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So gospel music talks about the power of God, which is why you can't sing gospel music and fake. Gospel music is going to come from your soul. You got to sing to God and about God and how he can deliver you through struggle. Man, I'm talking about folks like Thomas Dorsey, Precious Lord, Take My Hand, Thomas Dorsey, Mahalia Jackson, James Cleveland, who says, I don't feel no ways tired. I've come too far from where I started from. That music held us. That music kept us because there was power in the music. And then there was Shirley Caesar, Edwin and Walter Hawkins, Andre Crouch, Kirk Franklin, Yolanda Adams, Fred No Weapon Hammond, Tamala Mann said, take me to the king, John P. Key. All of these great gospel songs, which also gave birth to gospel rap. I got to name drop again because not only was there Stephen Wiley and Michael Peace, these pioneers in gospel rap and DC Talk and PID and ETW and SFC and cross movement. It was your pastor with Transformation Crusade in the late 1980s doing my rap for Jesus, man. And that's what led me to preach. And that's what led me to plant a church. And that's where I stand today. And it came out of music that came out of struggle, that came out of the black church. Because God used us in spite of us to put this nation under a groove. So out of necessity, the black church was born. And out of struggle, black music was born. Once again, putting this nation under a groove. And I believe my people, we've given this country so much, not only by way of inventions, but also by way of the black church and black music. We've given this country far more than this country has given us to this point. But we still have hope in what God can do tomorrow. Now today, today, to close out Black History Month, Strong Tower Bible Church is having our drive-up soul food luncheon. And that will be between 12.15 and 1.30. So some of y'all probably not even listening now. You're in your car and you're gone. Okay? So you can pick up your plate between 12.15 and 1.30. Now, I got to say this, though. If you did not sign up and register for a plate, don't you dare show up and try to get a plate. We gave you time. We gave you time. Uh, some of you, uh, you hesitated. And you've been left outside the blessing. You got to wait till next year, okay? So upwards of 285 plates have already been pre-packaged uh, 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 for those who have registered. So make sure those who sign up are the ones who show up. And if you sign up and you don't show up, we're going to take those plates and distribute them amongst uh, the community around us, if you understand what I'm saying. But Strong Tower, we just wanted to celebrate Black History Month. We, we thank God for the black people in our church. 
We are not colorblind around here. We're grateful for our black community and our black culture. Soul food lunch in the day. But, but, but watch this though, watch this stuff. Do you know where soul food even comes from? Huh? Do, do, do you know where soul food comes from? Soul food came from necessity and struggle. Because after the master got the pieces of the pig and the cow and the chicken that he wanted for his family and his overseers, the slaves were given the rest, what was left over. So we took the bellies or the intestines of the pig and transformed them into chitlins. Uh, we took pig's feet and pig ears, pig tails, oxtails, chicken feet, chicken gizzards, and we transformed them into soul food. Now today, there, there are no pig's feet and <laughs> oxtails, <laughs> fat back strickling lard. We, we don't have none of that, but we do have some chicken. <laughs> we have some spaghetti for you, cornbread, and guess what to top it off? Red Kool-Aid. Oh, you don't hear me red. Not cherry, not strawberry, but red Kool-Aid. We will see you today between 12.15 and 1.30. Uh, we'll wave at you from a distance and bless you from a distance. But let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this word. Lord, give us a heart to want to know history because history, Lord, is your story. And we can see your hand on your people, not only the Jews, not only on the nation or the country, uh, continent of Africa, but we also see how you have worked here in America. In spite of all of the challenges we've gone through, we see, Lord, that you have been our shining prince. You have been the one that has protected us and kept us. And I thank you that you've touched our hearts. Many of us within the black community, Lord, we do not have a desire for revenge. We do not have a desire to hurt anyone. Lord, we still want to be treated the way everybody else is treated. We still want access to opportunity like everybody else has access to opportunity. And Lord, I still believe the church is to set that example for the broader community. And Lord, the church still has to deal with its demons of racism, segregation, uh, 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 of looking down on others and judging and biases. Lord, the church must repent. The church must get right. And Lord, I pray that as you use the words of Stephen before he was stoned to touch the heart of Saul, use these words as I even shared the history, like the Jews shared their history, as I shared African-American history. Use this, Lord, to touch and cut hearts that men and women might repent. Thank you, God. Build up your church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Oh, if I had a ring dance right now, if I had somebody on the organ, because I didn't talk about black preaching. I didn't. Maybe another time I'll talk to you about black preaching and, and man, the hoop. Oh, I forgot to even get in all that. I'm too full. Now I'm ready to go get me some chicken. All right, I'll see y'all later. Holla. <laughs>